This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking, beer lovers? Cracking? Yeah. You're trying to, like, crack the can? Crack a beer. Crack the top? I catch you. I see you. I actually dig that. I dig that. <laughs> or in the words of Happy Madison, hey, let's tap the keg, I'll pump. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Don't you know that uh, or Happy Gilmore? Happy, I said Happy Madison, had, Happy Madison Productions. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I knew what you meant. Yeah, Happy I, Gilmore. Because yep. um, we all know we haven't actually had this debate on here. We say it in our um, in our intro, but like draft beer is just better. But I do no I no do. draft beer is hands it, down. It's better. not. It's not better. It not always. Better. I think it depends on the beer. What beer is better not on draft? Um, I wrong. Think- <laughs> <Just> straight <laughs> wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so whenever, oh gosh, there's so many people that are going to roast the crap out of me for this, but, and you know who you are and I know you're listening. Let so. the roast begin. Screw you guys. Um, but whenever I was living in Belgium... <laughs> Oh my gosh, I lived in Belgium. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of my favorite beers to drink whenever I went to any Italian place over there was Peroni. There were some places that would serve it on tap, and there were some places that would serve it to you in a bottle. The bottle was significantly better. Significantly better. Agree to disagree. The um, bottle is never as good as on tap. I think... So, Peroni, it wasn't uh, the first thing that came to mind. But I think ales, typically for me, are better out of the bottle. No. Absolutely. So, you're telling me. Darker ales. Darker ales. You're telling me that the Guinness Extra Stout is better out of the bottle than off a fresh tap, off fresh keg. The Extra Stout? Yep. No, I think it's better out of a... On like, I, I think that's better on tap. Yeah, because it it's just better on tap. I like, don't think that that's true for all beer, though. Yeah, like yeah, you did. You just hadn't had enough beer yet, Clayton. You'll learn one day. <laughs> Been drinking beer since I was sixteen. <laughs> yeah, what, what are you like seventeen though? Like, <laughs> Shut up. No, actually, uh, real talk. Real talk. Clayton has a birthday in a month. Oh, I do. Clayton has a birthday in less than a month. I haven't even been thinking about it because yep. um, the freeze and COVID. And well, and crap, just, but, uh, yeah. adult life. Yeah. I haven't yeah. even been thinking about that. Clayton has a birthday in, yeah. in less than a month. So, oh, and a couple of friends actually want to take me to a brewery. So Yeah, nice. Um, one of They want to take me to St. Arnold's. Hey, St. Arnold's. Yeah. If you want to sponsor this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> reach out to Shout us. out. Yeah. Uh, um, on that note, let's talk about our beers yeah, for today. Um, so can I guess? You got an IPA. You got this beer for me out of the fridge. I did. But this dude always drinks IPAs on this podcast. When was the last time you drank something not an IPA on this podcast? When I drink a double IPA. <laughs> I don't know. I like IPAs and I don't drink a lot of craft beer anymore because it's expensive it and bad expensive. for my belly. Yeah. And so when I drink a craft beer, I drink an IPA. I drink the thing I like. 
You know, for craps and giggles, you should just come on here with a brown one day. I do like the Lazy Magnolia Brewers. I love nut. They're, they're nut brown. Yep. It's good. It's fantastic. But today, I do have an IPA. I have uh, another Houston brewery, 11 Below Brewing, here in Houston, Texas. Shout out. Hit us up. The Hipster Sauce IPA. And I love this. The back of the can says... <laughs> <laughs> I won't I won't read it exactly because I don't want to have to put the explicit sign on the podcast. But it's it says darn, but it doesn't say darn. It feels good to be a hipster. <laughs> 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 and so it's six and a half percent alcohol by volume, fifty-five IBUs. But it says here in a little in a little story blurb, it says all the cool kids are drinking those IPAs these days, and we call ours hipster sauce. Excessive amounts of mosaic citra and Amarillo hops provide juicy yumminess for hopheads and hipsters alike. Twist up that sweet stash, put on your retro hat, and enjoy the sauce. Uh, so you know that meme of the hipster dude um, with the the long mustache? Oh, yeah, and, the handlebars. Yep. Yeah, and it's typically like a side profile. Yep, yep. Um, uh, that's the kind of guy that I would expect to drink. This. Well, if you if you can see the can, it's a fish riding with, a bike with a handlebar, with a handlebar a mustache. And he has a fishing pole off of him with a hop in front of him, a hop bud in front of him. That's hilarious. So, yeah, well done, 11 Below. Yeah. Love the entire thing you got going there. So, not to discredit, because I'm not, because that's... Freaking awesome. Yeah, it's genius. It's freaking awesome. Um, mine's not quite as fun. Mine's a little bit more uh, elegant. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute, honey. <laughs> I'm not I'm not talking down to eleven below. Um, I'm actually kind of curious about what's going on in that can. Um, and we got a six pack in there, and I will probably drink one when we finish this. Um, but I've got the the Varsteiner German Pilsner. Um, Thank you for saying it correctly. <laughs> what? Yeah. Instead of Warsteiner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, Varsteiner. Yeah. Um, W's are pronounced in, as a V's. That's in right. Um, and it, so I've had this beer before. It's delicious. Um, it was uh, a pretty commonly sold beer in Germany. Yeah. Um, and I've been to Germany a couple times, one on a mission trip, um, of which, because I was with a Baptist group, I was not allowed to drink. But because you were with a conservative Baptist right. group, conservative if you Baptist didn't group. know, Wellhouse is proud to be a Baptist church. We are a proud, proud to be a Baptist church. And um, because I was with a conservative group, I was not allowed to You drink. were with a conservative Baptist church. Um, but it's 4.8%. Um, and it, it is a Pilsner. But whenever it sits on your palate, you don't know that it's a Pilsner. Um, yeah. It's very full-bodied. Um, and it's kind of thick. Pilsner malt can be full body. It can be. If it's done right, it can be. It, it doesn't, doesn't have to be. It doesn't have it to be a Bud Light. Right. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. It doesn't have to be a Bud Light. It, it can be a Varsteiner. Right. Yep. They also have a Dunkel that I will probably do next week. Um, okay. Just because I think the Dunkel is fantastic as well. I know I, you're not a Dunkel I'm fan. I'm not a Dunkel fan. I don't like Dunkel as a style of beer. 
it's got this like roasted malt note that I just love. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So are you ready to get into these? I am. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Mm. Even this has that roasted malt. Ooh. Um, mine is not near as hoppy as I would have expected. Really? Is it more malty? Um, it's more mellow. It's more balanced. Really? It has hop, but the hop is like in a normal, like in a more West Coast IPA, the hop would hit you like right in the nose, like right off the gate. It'd be right in the front of your palate. Yeah. Nope. It's totally mellowed, totally balanced all the way at the back, but Mm. very, very interesting. That is interesting. Yep. Um, Very like, good, though. Well done, 11 Below. Yeah, like I was saying with the Dunkel, um, it, even the Pilsner has that roasted malt note, which it, I think is, for me, is the the draw to, to Varsteiner. Yeah. Um, is that, that roasted note. Um, it, it feels very homey and comforting, and I don't know, I just love it. Do you know what the Love Bond they use for their Pilsner malt? I don't. Um, interesting, because you keep talking about ro- being roasted. It feels roasted. Yeah, um, that would tend to be a higher level it, bond. It seems like it would be, um, but I, I have no idea. Um, so I don't want to just spout out nonsense. Yeah, we'll have to look that up. Yeah, but well um, done for to both breweries again. Yeah, absolutely. You guys did great, um, Varsteiner. I don't know if you have any social media, but maybe you do. We're gonna try to link you somehow. Yeah, um, which we forgot to do last week's too. <laughs> nope, nope. I'm gonna post about it on mine. Oh, okay, cool. Um, All righty. Oh. As we partake. Hold on. I have a story about this. Okay. So, um, YouTube people, you can see this. Um, Non-YouTube people, you can't. But it's a bottle opener with a monk on it. Um, and there's a funny, funny story behind this, this bottle opener. The reason I brought it up um, is because, um, one, I don't have my rings to open my bottle today. But two. Yeah, weirdo. Um, two. The monk bottle opener was a kind of a joke between like within our family. When when we lived in overseas, this was in the apartment that we were living in or the flat that we it were just living left in. there. It was just left there. Yeah. Um, and so when we moved in, um, we started using it and fell in love with it. We just thought it was amazing. <laughs> and so we, we replaced it with a better one from Ikea and <laughs> took this one home. <laughs> Dang. Um, but yeah, it, I don't know. I just think it's funny. It reminds me of like uh, Thomas Aquinas um, and the, the podcast uh, Pints, with Aqu- uh, Pints with Aquinas. Um, I don't know if you've oh, ever listened yeah, to it or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, very interesting podcast. Yeah. Um, I dig it. You could literally spend a lifetime talking about Aquinas and mm-hmm. there would still be a lifetime worth of content left to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. That dude literally wrote. He talked about so much. He, he may have been the most prolific writer to ever live. We may have more volumes from Aquinas than anyone else. I think that's true. Um, also, he might have been the fattest man that ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> they legit had to cut a yeah. part out of the, the yeah. table where he sat. Yeah. Uh, no fat shaming, Clayton. <laughs> I'm not he, fat shaming. Yeah, but at he all. was a very large man. He <laughs> Historically, was large he was a large person. man. Yeah, that's undeniable. He was yeah. a very large <laughs> human being. But. 
as we have a good time and partake of the nectars of the gods, let's talk about the salvation of God. Yeah, absolutely. You guys probably haven't seen me with an actual Bible in my hand before. Yeah, um, maybe maybe never because Clayton is. Um, I'm totally given over to the to the the U version Bible app. Um, well, maybe not that Clayton doesn't read his Bible. <laughs> I just I'm no just because kidding. I'm a theologian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. Clayton reads his Bible sometimes. <laughs> I read my Bible whenever I'm praying the hours. Yeah, Clayton's um, like I read my Bible an adequate amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as per. Um, our entire series on practicing presence yep. about um sp- spiritual formation and and s- the spiritual pathways. Yeah. I don't read my Bible every day because it's not it's not forming for me. It's Some, not it's not it, the easiest way for you to experience formation. No, no I get that. Um, sometimes reading my Bible feels like a chore, and if it feels like a chore, it's not life giving. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that, but. We are going to continue our conversation about Arminian soteriology. Yep. As the main Protestant Western counterpart of soteriology to Calvinist or Reformed soteriology, Arminian theology or soteriology would specifically revolve around an idea of the, the free will of a human to choose God. And uniquely in some traditions of Arminian theology, it will also have a highlight of the ability to lose your salvation. Yeah. Like the salvation is not eternal once you receive it, unless you endure unto the end. Yeah. And so we want to look at a couple of passages from um, the epistle to the Hebrews and I just want to say with the utmost respect and grace that your pastor can offer to you, people of Wellhouse Church. And people who do not attend as well. Well, um, yeah, but I still think even at least the people that I talk to that reach out to me that are like, hey, I don't attend one of your gatherings, but I really appreciate what you do. Like, yeah. they still somehow identify with Wellhouse. Yeah, so yeah, yeah I'm still for gonna, sure. I'm still going to incorporate them with Wellhouse. You're still but, a beer lover. Yeah, and for here... For our sake, I want to give you the most grace and respect possible. Stop saying Paul wrote this. Yeah. Oh, gosh, please. <laughs> Paul did not write <sighs> Hebrews. It is absolutely not true. Before um, before we press record, me and Cullen had a long conversation about how irritating it is that yeah, people still just, think that Paul wrote this. It's just not the case. No. Like, just stop it. And there's so many different theories on who wrote this, but Paul definitely was not. And... Some it, of what we're going to talk about today shows that Paul did not write this. Yes, that's the thing. I think the theology here is significantly different than what we get like in, in Paul Romans. in Romans. Yeah, yeah. Or it, even Paul in Philippians. Yeah, or yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there are just some very radical different things here that it, go, yeah, Paul absolutely did not write this. No, 100%. Absolutely not. So, first would be that this is a letter written to, ding, 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 Hebrews. Yeah, the yeah the people at the Hebrew church. 
Paul is called God's instrument to the Gentiles. Yeah. A uh, little quick lesson for you here. Gentiles are anything other than Hebrews. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Protestants are anything other than Catholic. Like, yeah. Well, no, not exactly. Well, I guess it's not totally because you got Orthodox too. Yeah, you got or- and the Great name. Schism happened before. Yeah, Protestant Reformation. So, well, yeah, that's not, not exactly. totally one to one, but what well, is Great Schism happened in 1054? Protestant Orthodox Church break West and East, and then in 1517 you get the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, which has nothing to do with the Orthodox Church. It just has to do with the Catholic Church, right. and so we get a third split. Right. The Orthodox do their own thing over there, that, and nobody but, over here ever talks about it. But what I'm saying is it's not a one-to-one comparison from Hebrews to Gentiles. Mm. But yeah. it's the same general idea. Yeah. Um, um, yes, it's the same general idea in that a, a Gentile is anybody that's not a Hebrew. Yeah. And so, or maybe better said... A lost person is anyone that's not a Christian. Yeah. Right? Like, like it's a, it's an all or nothing kind of exchange here. Yeah. And so, Paul, we don't have a single letter from Paul written to a Hebrew. Nope. Um, you might be able to make the argument that Romans was written to both Hebrews and Gentiles. Couldn't make that argument. You also might be able to make the argument if you ascribe to the idea that Paul wrote the the Timothy epistles, pastorals, that Timothy was half Jew, half Greek. Right. Because we get that in Acts 16. But Paul was half Roman, half Jew, so... Well, no, Paul was Jew who also happened to be a Roman citizen. Oh. I was taught incorrectly. Yeah, you can't be Roman is is a nationality, right? Not an ethnicity, right? But Paul was a Jew who happened to be a Roman citizen. I was taught incorrectly. No, Somebody Paul, taught me wrong. <laughs> yeah, no. Philippians Philippians tells us Paul's a Pharisee. Paul's a Jew right. of Jews, right? He or in Paul's words, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, right? He's Hebrew through and through. He's an Israelite. Hmm. So Paul's a Jew. Learning never stops. Yeah, learning never never stops. Learning never stops. So that's kind of the first clue that maybe Paul didn't write this. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't have any other letters that are written to... Specifically the Hebrews. Jews from Paul. Yeah. But this, this is a very... Hebrews may be... And I go back and forth on this depending on the year, the month, or whatever. But I think Hebrews might be the most theological book in the New Testament. The only other option would be John or Romans. And I think everybody says Romans is more theological than John. Yeah. And so the conversation becomes between Hebrews and Romans. And theology, I don't want to say it's contradictory, but it's quite different. Well, it's definitely not contradictory. Um, well, no, no, I'm not going to say it's definitely not. Well, because you can't read what we're about to read in Hebrews 4, 6, and 10 and go, oh, it, yeah, this is 100% coherent with Romans 8. But I think it. F- Here we go with the, the the bias a little bit. I'm sorry. I can't hold it. <laughs> Be careful. Try. Try. I'm, I'm going to try. 
I think there are ways in which you can read both that it makes sense. Well, but you have to come from a different perspective. Exactly. You can't come at it from a reformed and Arminian perspective. Yeah. Um, for, for yeah. If, if you're, you're coming right. at it from one of those, one of them doesn't make sense. And Correct. one of them is contradictory. Correct. But if you're coming at it from a different perspective, they can't make sense. Yeah. There's a, there's a third and fourth way of looking at soteriology that can help reconcile these things. But these two things, a reform perspective and an Armenian perspective are irreconcilable. Yeah. They can't. And so here in Hebrews chapter four, we get this really interesting language. It says beginning verse one, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest is still open, let us take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. You have a part to play in reaching the openness of the promise, of yeah. entering the promise. Okay, like so you got a role in this. Your free will has a choice to play here. Verse 2, For indeed the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Yeah. For we who have believed enter that rest just as ha- just as God has said. Here it's there's a lot of language in this first part about us doing our part in order to experience salvation. And that continues on. There's an interesting thing here too, though. United in faith with like a community. Well, Uh, it says, for we who have believed. Right. Or, yeah. Because they were not united by faith with those who had listened. Right. With other people who have listened. Right. But once again, that's a choice you make. Right. To be in community. Yeah. To be in community. So I say this all the time. I don't think like to to people who talk about evangelism. Yeah. Evangelism 100% an important thing to do. 100%. Like absolutely we're called to do it, we should do it. Yep. Great commission. That idea that people have never heard in America the message of Jesus, I'm not buying that. Yeah. We have too much money, too much power, too much influence for people to have zero idea who Jesus is. I guarantee you, you walk out on the street, walk up to the first person you see, ask them, have you heard about Jesus? They're going to say yes. They're going to have some idea of Jesus. They may not have the whole story. No, but they're going to know who the person of Jesus is. They're going to know. Yeah, absolutely. They've passed enough churches that are massive buildings that they were curious. They might be able to point to the blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. But they have some idea of who Jesus is. So that's just wrong. So this idea here that we've all heard a message about Jesus. Yeah. The difference is, did we choose to pursue that message and surround ourselves with a community who have believed? Yeah. That's... That's Arminian theology. Like, you have a role to play in your salvation. Yep. Fundamentally. Then, in chapter 6, or 5 and 6, 
More six, but yes. Well, but you have this warning against falling right, away at the end right. of five. Right. That's like, oh, so you can fall away. Yeah. And he he says, beginning in 512, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic elements of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food, excuse me, is for the mature. For those who have faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. So he sets it up like, you didn't, you didn't grow in yep. your faith. You didn't pursue your faith. You didn't develop in your faith. And so six, you can fall away. Yeah. Therefore, what is it? What is that there for? Right. Right. Let us go on toward perfection. Yeah. Let um, us go on. Let us mature. Yeah. Leaving behind the basic teachings about Christ and not laying again the foundation, repentance from dead works and faith toward God, instruction about baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. But this is the interesting piece, beginning in verse 4, because most Arminians would say you can gain your salvation and lose your salvation as fluid as rain falls from the earth. Yep. Like it can happen and stop. Yeah. This seems to reject that idea. It does. Verse 4, for it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away since on their own they're crucifying again the Son of God and are holding him up to contempt. So the idea here is twofold. Number one, you read chapter six and you go, it's pretty possible to fall away. Yeah. Or at least that's on Arminian would read it. But the the way that um, you would read that is if you fall away, there's no chance of coming there's back. There's no coming back because you can't crucify Jesus again. Yeah. Um, and they, they, the author makes that argument. Right. Um, it's really, really hard, um, first of all, to swallow that. But also, how would you justify that within Arminian theology that you can come back? Well, would you, you would just say that grace abounds. Even though right there it says it's not possible because you can't crucify Jesus again. So, like, if grace covers you once and then you fall away, Christ can't die again for grace to cover you a second time. Well, but... But then you end up... Because then you end up having a a perseverance of the saints argument. Well, no, no, no. That's not the route you go. You go back to John 3.16, for God so loved the world that gave his only son so that whosoever believed would not mm. perish but have eternal life. So if you believe, you stop believing, and then believe again. It's it's like it's a new. Um. Like God is making all things new. Yeah. Belief itself is a new revelation, a special revelation. It, it's, it's being a, you, born again a second time. Yeah, you can start over and be born again a second time. Hmm. As, as, seems, as we talked about, Arminian theology seems to be more present in charismatic traditions and they believe in second baptisms. Right. So not just second water baptisms, but they believe in baptism by the spirit. Right. There are multiple dispensations of the experience of God as can be the case with salvation because God is making all things new. Hmm. 
that kind of gives a little bit of weight to Barney's argument of new is always better. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. That's a little sacrilegious, but I still think it's funny. <laughs> I don't think it's sacrilegious. I just think it's funny. It is um, a little bit funny. And then because we don't have time to walk all the way through these, we're already pretty late, and I, I still want to get to Jacob and Esau. We always end up getting 45, 50 minutes on this podcast. <sighs> not always. Anyways. I try not to, but we can go through and go through chapter 10, and you have this idea of Christ and his sacrifice and what that means. But then right after that, there's a call to persevere. Yeah. An Arminian would look at that and go, so what happens to those who didn't persevere? Right. They fell away. Right. And the last verse of chapter 10 says, but we are not among those who shrink back and so are lost, but among those who have faith and so are saved. So they tell us right there at the end of the chapter, there are two, there's two categories of people. Yeah. Those who have shrunk back yep. and lost yep. or those who have persevered or pushed in and are saved. Okay. And once again, remember from chapter four, we've all heard the same message. Yep. But there's some level of continuation that's happened on part of some of us to get us to the point that we didn't shrink back. We pushed in and we are saved. And those who have shrunk back are lost. By your own choice. By your choice. That's the thing is you have... Fundamentally, that's what makes the difference between... Reform soteriology and Arminian soteriology is, is the choice. It, it's the idea of choice, right? Yep. The, the the difference between predestination and um, choice. Fundamentally, the, that's that's what it comes down to. The providence of God is highlighted in Reform soteriology, right? The free will of humanity is highlighted in Arminian soteriology. Yep, and I. We can't do this for all of them, but I do want to bring up Jacob and Esau again. Right. Because that seems to be a pretty high point for reform soteriology. And one I, of them I know we can't. One of them we can. I but. want to I want to specifically pick on Arminian soteriology with that passage, just like I did with reform soteriology with that passage. Yep. And once again, for time's sake, I'm not going to get fully into it. But if you remember from last, uh, from our episode, excuse me, about the Bible um, and Reformed soteriology, we talked about Jacob and Esau, and spe specifically from the Romans passage, Jacob I loved, Esau hated. But when we went back and looked, there does seem to be some predisposition or predestination about who God's chosen. Yep. Because Esau's the older. Right. He's the eldest son. He's the one who you think God would choose. Right. But it chooses Jacob. Right. And there's some weird things there that happen with Rachel and her kind of involvement in Jacob's plan to steal the birthright right right that that some happens kind of sketchy stuff yeah, yeah some some really sketchy stuff not kind of some no. really sketchy stuff like yeah. she she kind of engineers the whole thing yeah to steal it but 
So Jacob, he meets Rachel, and he goes out into this land. And so Isaac blesses Jacob, and Jacob goes and pursues a wife. And he goes to Haran, and Haran is an interesting place, but it's out in the land of Canaan. Yeah. The eventual to come promised land. Right. He meets a girl named Rachel. And he goes through and he tries to marry Rachel. He gets conned into marrying her older sister and then ends up doing another deal with her dad to marry her. But he ends up marrying a woman that lives within the promised land. She's kosher. She's not an Israelite, but like she's kosher. She's not rejected. Right. Interestingly enough... Genesis 28, 6. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there. And then as he blessed him, he charged him, you shall not marry one of the Canaanite women. He says, don't do this. Yeah. Right? He's clearly told, do not do this. Do not marry a Canaanite. Now, the region of Cana is, or Canaan is very, very vast. Large. Like, it's like there were places not to, but there were also places you could. Like, Abraham is in Canaan, and like, there, it's more it, it's nuanced not, yeah. than, than just that. But he says, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Do not marry one of the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So he goes, and it's, it's away from this place. Yeah. It's still in the greater region because if you remember the narrative, they end up going and conquering outside of Canaan. Right. Like they end up, he ends up marrying someone, but it's not specifically a Canaanite woman. And it's the text says Esau saw that Isaac had blessed him, told him to do this and that Jacob had obeyed and went to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please his father Isaac, Esau went to Ishmael. Who's Ishmael? Ishmael was Abraham's rejected son. Ding, ding, ding. Scott makes a promise to Abraham. He says, hey, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Yep. I'm going to give you a son. Yep. Abraham did not allow God to fulfill the covenant. Nope. He sleeps with his wife's Handmaid. slave yeah. and has a son whom he names Ishmael, who his wife then gets jealous of and kicks her and the baby out. Yep. And the baby is Ishmael. Yep. And this is the rejected. So Esau, side. yeah, so this is Genesis 28, verse 9. Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, daughter of Abraham's son Ishmael and sister of Nebaioth to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. Esau chose to do something specifically for the intent of upsetting his dad. 
Yeah. His dad, who we're told throughout the Bible, uh, is one of the patriarchs of the faith. Yep. Abraham, Isaac, yep. his daddy, and, and Jacob, Jacob, the one who obeyed, who listened to his daddy, yeah. who made a choice to do the things his daddy said, yep. and Esau chose to go to the rejected, to his go. rejected uncle. The text literally says, so when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please his father Isaac, Esau went to Ishmael. Yeah. So like he chose to go to the people specifically that his daddy told him not to. So what it ends up becoming, right, where we're going with this is that um, Esau, so Jacob chose God. Via Isaac. Via Isaac. And Esau chose not God. Esau chose Esau. Right. Esau chose himself. He chose Ishmael. He chose the rejected. Yep. Right. In the biblical narrative, he chose the rejected. Yeah. And if you want to, like, we don't have time to get into it, but... Hebrews 11 can kind of help walk this out for you. That's by faith that these things happen. Right. And Esau chooses not to have faith, and he goes to his own children. Like, he goes to the people who his dad says don't go to. Right. The only reason I brought up the thing about going into the Canaan region and, and all of that is just because we don't really understand the geography. And, like, if you go put it on a map, like, you're going to see that these things don't fully line up. But it's because God ends up giving them more than the land of Canaan. Although he, they conquer a lot of land, but the point is that Isaac tells Jacob, don't go to the Canaanite women. Yep. And he goes, he obeys. The text says he obeys, even though if you go look up your Old Testament map, you're going to see that, like, at least the way we tell the story, he doesn't obey. Mm. The text tells us he obeyed. Right. And Esau is against that. He doesn't obey Isaac, and he goes directly to the people that he told Jacob not to go to and finds a wife. Right. Um, there is a, an argument that I just thought about that I haven't heard before um, to the idea uh, of choice rather than um, God's providence and predestination. Yeah. Um, Abraham chose not to have faith and trust God. Oh, fair point. Yeah. Um, to sleep with Hagar. Yeah. Um, which, through his choice of not having faith, led to Ishmael and Isaac. Right. Um, which thus then led to Jacob and Esau and this whole discord here. Well, um, and I think the Jacob and Esau thing is interesting because they're twins. Right. And Jacob came out holding right. Holding his Esau. ankle. They are... And and that part's important because Esau's the firstborn. Right. Right. If Jacob Came comes out, out holding on to his ankle, right. Esau the, comes out first. He's the one that we're supposed to go. He and, receives the birthright. Right. Like he's the chosen one. He's the firstborn. Like he's the one that gets it. Right. It's not the, how the narrative goes. No. It's not Esau. Esau does some very stupid things. He chooses to do some very stupid things. Jacob in a conniving way did the right thing well <laughs> sort of he didn't do it chose he didn't do the, the right, right thing, option but he chose to pursue the birthright right 
whereas Esau did not choose to pursue the birthright, and he freely gave it up for a bowl of soup. Yeah, very stupid thing to do. Yeah, like just didn't care about his birthright at all. Yeah. And then explicitly disobeyed his father. Yeah. In order to have a woman because for the purpose of displeasing his father. Yeah. An Arminian would read Romans 8 and 9 and go, no. God didn't choose to love Jacob and hate Esau. Esau. God found himself there because of the decisions, the choices that Jacob and Esau made. 